Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Are you ready? It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 300 of the Wayne's Comics podcast. Thanks so much for listening. It's hard to believe when I started this podcast back in January of 2011, I'd ever hit number 300, but I appreciate all your support and all my listeners and folks who want to be on the podcast as well, so all these things make this podcast possible. This week is a special one because I've got interviews from the recent New York Comic Con. If they say something that's a little old because of the timing of this, these were recorded back about the beginning of October. So please be aware of that. But we've got a great list of folks. And again, I want to thank Charlotte and everybody from BH Media and DC Comics for making these interviews possible. We've got a great lineup, including the first one, which is Marguerite Bennett from Batwoman and Bombshells. Number two is Mark Russell, who's working on the Flintstone comics. Then Tim Seeley, who's got a new book out that he'll tell you about, as well as his new Green Lantern series, which is now underway. We catch up with Gail Simone next as she talks about Wonder Woman and Conan. Then comes Cecil Castellucci, who was working on Shade the Changing Girl, followed by the return of several outstanding talents that I always enjoy talking with, James Tynan IV and Neil Adams, who has something new coming out very shortly. Then we talk with Ray Fox about his new book, which has already hit the stands, called Ragman, I think you're going to like. We follow that up with a brief interview with Steve Orlando about Supergirl, and everything wraps up with J.R.J.R., John Romita Jr., as he lets us know about many of the things that he's working on that we get to enjoy very soon. It's a big episode with a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. I'm talking right now with Marguerite Bennett, the writer on Batwoman and with Bombshells. How are you doing today, Marguerite? Very good, and thank you very much for coming out. It's good to be here. Now, talk to me about Batwoman. What's it like to write a title in the DC Universe, particularly the Batman area, that we don't know much about? This gives, doesn't this give you a chance to kind of establish your character in your own way? 
Definitely, but it's also sort of enormous pressure because you sort of have the terror that, I mean, when you're writing a character that has, you know, wonderful decades of legacy that you're sort of standing on the shoulders of giants, and in this case, I'm still standing on the shoulders of giants, but there's just not as much footing. She's only been around for a decade. Um, and so there's uh, there's an enormous pressure, you know, within all the new territory, you know, that you're defining that you make it, you know, worthy of the vision, you know, that you're... Um, you know, with with legacy characters, you know that if you screw up, the character's going to be fine. You know, there there are you know eons of other writers who have other stories. You know, to to buoy uh, the character up. In this case, it's like, oh goodness, if I choose wrong, I could do some horrible damage. <laughs> so um, yeah, so there's like a lot of like really delightful pressure there. Um, I mean, Kay Kane is my favorite heroine, like bar none. Um, and so it's honestly such an honor to get to write her. Um, like I still remember like where I was like when she was announced. I was in high school, and like you know, I went to the bathroom and cried. Like I was just so excited that there was going to be a queer heroine. Um, and uh, yeah, like I mean, it's, it's it, I mean, working you know off of like what Greg Rucka and J H Williams um, you know put together, like you know, getting to work with James Tynan, who is just like my brother in arms. Um, you know, even from before I was in comics, uh, is just a huge honor. But what's it like? Uh, she was involved with uh, the, the detective group. Yep. Is she still involved with that, or is she off on her own now? No. So, uh, so if you want to see like the Batwoman, like you know, solo adventures where Kate's on the you know this international woman of mystery tour, um, yeah, Batman, Batwoman has you covered. Um, and then Kate in Gotham is uh, is Detective Comics, where she's still very entrenched with the Bat family. Are you writing that now, or are you solely involved with Batwoman? As Just far as Batwoman, yeah. And then I also get to write Kate Kane uh, in Bombshells and Bombshells United. It's a perfect segue. Let's talk about Bombshells. What's it like to write another universe with a very different focus to do Batwoman there? Oh, it's, it's supremely fun. I love Bombshells so much. And I am just honestly like so floored and so blown away by the fan response. Um, because originally when Bombshells was greenlit, we were sort of like, you know, given notice. Like, this is probably in the last six issues. Like, just so you know, like, don't get your heart broken. Like, you know, be prepared to tie everything up. And, you know, the fan response was so enthusiastic, so kind, so passionate, you know, that, that we ran for over a thousand pages. I mean, that's just, that is unheard of. <laughs> and, um, you know, so it was just such an honor. And, I, you know, just getting to, you know, to deliver on these heroines, um, you know, to define this complete alternate history. Um, you know, like all of my parents, mom, dad, stepmom, and stepdad, uh, were all involved as like history teachers. And so I grew up, you know, hearing, you know, like Alexander Thebes and the Siege of Leningrad. And so I was, you know, from a very young age, um, really steeped um, in American history and world history. And so getting to combine, you know, the DCU, you know, with this, this you know, like this, this cultural and world crisis, you know, with world, with this alternate history, World War II, was just an immense honor and brought together, you know, things that I cared so, so much about. <laughs> So what's the, the future for Bombshells? Is that coming to an end, or is it, is it going to continue? Oh, no. So we um, so Bombshells, the original series, was sort of our act one. And now we, um, just uh, a month ago, uh, began over with Bombshells United, which is a new number one, new jumping on point um, for people who maybe hadn't been familiar with the series. And, uh, you know, so there's there's no redundancy, you know. So fans of the series, you know, will still be getting completely fresh stories. Um, but it's very, very accessible. We almost have, like, uh, like little rebirth issues, some, you know, chapters within Bombshells United to sort of introduce you everything you need to know about the heroine um, so you can just hit the ground running and uh, from there you know we're, we're going to be going to all different theaters of the war uh, let's see we you know we, we start on the home front um, then let's see we're going to uh, fascist Spain and then we you know have a whole arc in the South Pacific and so like you know we're gonna we're, we're doing a, a world tour <laughs> it's funny that both of them seem to be on world tours both the Batwoman book and it you talked about your background in history and stuff like that do you enjoy being able... It, it's almost like comics teaching us a little bit when you do those kinds of things. Because it used to be when the, I read Justice League of America, you know, Gardner Fox would teach me science. 
and stuff like that. So now you're getting to teach us history. Is that something that, uh, when you write, does that is that just automatic? Do you enjoy doing that, or is that something you, you put in the writing and int- intend to do? You know, it's it's something that I almost can't tell at this point because I love it so sincerely. Um, you know, I'm I'm like an audiobook addict, and I'm always listening, you know, to these nonfiction uh, like books, and you know, just just whatever is just catching my interest. And so when I learn something new, I tend to be really obnoxious and run to my friends immediately, like, oh, let me tell you this cool thing about Russian military history. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it, it trickles down into the story. So as far as like Batwoman, we'll get back to her for a minute. When she gets done with her world tour, what we have, what do you have in plan, mind for her? Oh, that I must be hush hush. <laughs> okay, so it's too soon on that one. <laughs> and messy and messed up. Well, that'd be good. So what you're saying though is Batwoman's obviously been a success based on the fact that you're getting to continue on and tell more stories. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, so how's that? I mean, what's it been? I mean, has has the fan response been something that you've you've enjoyed? Oh yes. No, it's been so kind and like honestly, like getting to work with like the the other creators that I have has just been phenomenal. I mean, Steve. Epting was like, I mean, I still got, I still get like, like Twitter pated just thinking about the fact that I worked with Steve Epting. I'm um, getting to work with Stephanie Hans, who's one of my, you know, my favorite and best co-creators in comics. Um, we did Angela Queen of Hell together, um, and getting to have her for like the one shot, you know, all about like you know Kate's like you know torrid romantic past was just so lush and so rich. And I'm um, working with Fernando Blanco right now. I mean, like he maybe I was like sleeping on his art, but like he just like came out of left field and I was like where has this been been all my life I mean it's just you know just the just the horror and the delirium and just oh everything is just like suffused with color he's so excellent so yeah so fans should have like a a variety of things to choose from (laughs) now you've taken her out of Gotham which is something that's interesting because Batman is associated with Gotham so much did, did that help establish her character by giving her kind of her own playground instead of doing Batman and Gotham? Yeah, I definitely wanted that, you know, to be one of the the sort of major points of exploration for the series. You know, with, with uh, you know, Batwoman didn't come into, you know, essentially like, you know, her costume and her, her superheroine identity because of Batman. She was there because of the symbol, you know, of what the Bat could be, what the Bat could do. Um, so it was very much, it wasn't about Batman as a person so much as Batman as an idea. And so I wanted, you know, to her, for her to have the sandbox, you know, to define herself and, you know, what, what the symbol meant to her um, in a place that didn't know the Bat as associated with Batman, where she would be the first, you know, red streak of paint across the canvas. And, the, you know, the places that that was for better and the places that that was for worse. Okay. Uh, obviously, Batwoman's a success. You can't really talk about the next arc yet. Bombshells United's going real well. Oh, just run. Okay. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about what other future projects you have. Are these guys that are going to keep you busy for a while, or oh, do you have yeah, other no, things? I love it. I have uh, two creator-owned series through Aftershock Comics, um, uh, Animosity and uh, Animosity Evolution, and then Insects just ended. Um, but yeah, Bombshells and Batwoman, I could not be happier. Just quick aside, I read Animosity and I looked down at my two dogs and I wondered what they were thinking. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> What's wonderful stuff, so please keep it up and we'll enjoy reading your writing. Thank you, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Time. We'll have a gay old time. I'm 
talking with Mark Russell, a creator who's taken on the Flintstones at DC Comics. How are you doing today, Mark? Doing great. Talk to me about taking on like a classic bunch of characters like that with a modern twist it's got. Have you written the Flintstones before this year in Volume 2? Yeah, we, uh, we're on Volume 2, so I wrote 12 issues, and I've never written it before. Probably won't write again, but I, I hope to get another chance because it was the most fun I've ever had as a writer, I think. We talk about that classic character and stuff like that. Got to be a challenge. Did you follow that take, or how, what did you do? Well, I think the challenge when you're writing an already established group of characters is to be true to the spirit of the characters while not overly reverent to the original series. Do something new with it. Don't be afraid to take some chances with characters that are established and loved. Because no one, no one wants you to, to copy what's come before. People only read because they want something new. And, and, I, and I'm no good if I try to sound like somebody else or try to write like somebody else. I'm only good when I write like I write. So I just figured I would use the Flintstones as a, a template to talk about my own thoughts and feelings about the world and, and, and people I've known in my life. So which one's your favorite as far as you got Fred and Barney, Wilma, Betty, the, 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 the kids? How old are the kids, by the way? Maybe we should start with that in this book. In this book, the kids are about 12. They're like preteens, uh, and, uh, which, which I always kind of found sort of a neglected age. There's a lot of stuff about like babies and you know, little kids and a lot of stuff about high schools. There's not a lot about middle school kids, but that's kind of in a way the, the most important age you have as a kid because that's where you begin... That's where you begin discovering how uncool you are. That's where you begin to understanding like how the world really works. And you, you know, your whole life up to that point is when people telling you you're great or trying to, to to help and foster you. And then you begin to like it's where you first you first begin to learn about how cruel the world can actually be. So is Fred still working in the rock quarry in this? Yeah, Fred still works in the rock quarry. And in, in a lot of ways, uh, Mr. Slate became one of my favorite characters having that because he's this. He undergoes the, I think the the, the farthest journey, uh, personal journey. He, he starts out as this just terrible boss, is completely self-centered, but then through um, you know having his heart broken and, and, and realizing that that people are not put on earth to be his his uh, his to- his playthings, he makes a real sort of personal journey throughout the story. Is that in your volume? Yeah, that's uh, that that happens throughout the twelve issues of, of my. my now, now it's a volume two. Are they going to come out individually and then come out as the volume? Yeah, they already come out individually. So yeah, the volume two just came out, and volume two en- encompasses issues uh, seven through twelve. So you were saying you'd like to do more about that? Yeah, we've spoken about doing a spinoff series that focuses on Pebbles and Bam Bam, and I, and I imagine this being sort of like. Uh, after-school specials they should have made but never would have, you know, after-school specials that are just wrong. But, you know, things about, like, getting your heart broken for the first time and how you deal with that or, you know, realizing that you're not cool, you know, the, these sorts of issues. I'm always interested because, you know, so many of us realized that we weren't cool in those eras. And yet I always wonder, how did the cool kids deal with it? They seem to have everything, you know, that they always had all the good money and the good cars and the good clothes and stuff like that. But we don't have to worry about them. The rest of us, we have to worry about. Yeah, in a way, it was harder for the cool kids because they were ruined very early. They, they were taught, they were, oh, I really am the greatest. Now I've got nothing to worry about. And then when they, they, their, their introduction to the, to the cruel reality of life was delayed. So I think they were they were more embittered when they realized they weren't the greatest, and they realized the world wasn't really theirs for the taking. 
Whereas the people who kind of always realized they weren't cool or that, that life was going to be kind of hard and they were going to have to work to get at things, I think they, they adapted much better to life when they became adults. So what other things are you working on that we should be aware of? Uh, right now I'm working on Snagglepuss, uh, another Hanna-Barbera property. Uh, but it's set in uh, the early 1950s against the backdrop of the Cold War and the House on American Activities uh, trials. And Snagglepuss runs afoul of the, uh, the HUAC committee and, uh, and, and asked, is forced to take the stand. They try to get them to name names. Well, this is going to be interesting. I really like it. So, Mark, you know, you're doing great stuff. Keep it up. and looking forward to all this good stuff. Great. Thanks so much. It's time to talk with Tim Seeley, who's doing a whole bunch of good things for D.C. How you doing this afternoon, Tim? Uh, good, man. I'm, I'm burnt out already. It's Thursday, so... It's been a hectic Thursday, I can tell. It's been everybody's... Yeah, it's, I mean, like, because security had to be so tight and, you know, it was it was not easy to get in here. It's not usually easy to get in here, so it was even harder. So, uh, you know, this is, this is the price we pay, I guess. More and more popular, it seems like. Why don't we go ahead and jump right to the one that you're doing that, that's, that's really fascinating called Imaginary Fiends. Tell me, the, give me the setup of this. So, what's this all about? The really quick pitch is a woman is hired by the FBI to help them find uh, basically imaginary friends to convince people to commit crimes. And uh, she's also someone who, when she was a kid, was basically convinced to stab her friend by this imaginary friend. So it's sort of like if the X-Files was combined with the real-life case of the Slenderman killer, uh, murder or attempted murder in, uh, in Wisconsin, sort of the, that combination. Um, but, it, yeah, it stars this character, Melba, and she, uh, at some point in the past, had, had you know, been sent to jail because she attacked her friend. And all at the behest of this, this to the rest of the world, believed to be an imaginary friend named Polly Peachpit. But in real life, we find out that actually, no, these are visible psychic entities that latch onto your brain and try to com- convince you to do bad things. So she can see them because she's got one. So she basically has to team up with this, this totally murderous monster because the only way that the, the monster exists is if she believes in her. So if she stops believing in her, the monster dies. So she has to work with her, and that's the only way the monster survives. So it's like a, you know... A, a, my favorite kind of combinations are the uh, a girl and a monster. That's my favorite comics, and this is definitely one of those. Uh, and the monster is this uh, kind of sexy, creepy spider woman. It's pretty cool. Really interesting. Now, who's doing the artwork? Uh, Stephen Molnar. Uh, he worked on previous to this. He was artist on uh, IDW Star Trek books and uh, uh, Danger Girl. And he's got this really like realistic style. He can do likenesses. He drew, you know, Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto perfectly. And in this case, we told them, don't worry about it. Go crazy. Draw weird monsters. Draw all this sort of stuff. So uh, I think it's an awesome book. I'm really excited about it. Um, I like to get to do horror stuff. That's That, for me, is kind of a, a go-to genre. And, and this is me getting to do, like, the creepiest comic I've ever done. This is miniseries ongoing? How's this going? It's a six-issue series to start. Uh, if it's sold really well, we would definitely keep going. I have arcs uh, and plots 
for, for years to go. So, When's it going to debut? Views in November. So. so not far away. Yeah, not far. It's uh, right after things are right after Halloween sometimes. So you're in the mood, you're psyched up from Halloween, and then you get to buy Imaginary Fiends. Cool. So I like the name. It's a twist on what we expect. Yeah. So I like that. I was super proud of it. So it's like one of the things where... Uh, I couldn't believe it hadn't been used before. I said, what? This is it's so you know simple, but it was the first time I'd heard. So, all right, let's jump over to Nightwing. How are things going in Nightwing? Good. Uh, I'm finishing my last arc. It's called Raptors Revenge. First arc, first issue of the arc just came out. Uh, basically, culminates all of the threads I've set up for Nightwing and a lot of the ones I set up for Grayson as well. Um, so it's basically a story of uh, the character Raptor, who is um, kind of Dick's corrupted mentor character. Uh, he comes to Bloodhaven and he wants to punish uh, Dick for for what um, he'd done to him in the past and also for what he perceives to be is that Dick chose another corrupt partner. To him, Batman is the first corrupt partner and Bloodhaven is the second one. So, uh, And Dick is forced to team up with his arch enemy Blackbuster to save the city. So Blackbuster uh, knows everything in the town. He's a man of the city and Dick needs his help. So you get kind of a a really bad buddy relationship out of these two as they try to stop Raptor. I think I heard something once, and I wanted you to comment on this, that even during Grayson, Dick was always Nightwing. Was that true in your mind? I, mean, I don't think it was Nightwing. I think it was always Dick Grayson. I mean, to me, the, the, the character is always... He's been so many things that when he changes into something else, I don't... Nightwing is just a costume he had. It's the most popular one. You know, I think that's the one that the fans sort of identify largely because it was on a really great cartoon and it has such a striking design. But to me, it's, it's, it's Dick Grayson. He's Robin, he's Nightwing, he's Batman, and then he's, you know, this guy who's a super spy. All of those work because the character is always there and he just has different mantles, you know? So, um, yeah, to me, Nightwing is just another way to do a Dick Grayson story. I always like Dick Grayson. I mean, Batman's my favorite character, but when he became Nightwing, I, there was something about that just gelled in my head. I thought that was yeah. a great move. I think, I mean, they, the, the smart thing about Nightwing is it's, it's, it's sexy, carefree Batman, right? He does the kind of things Batman does, but he does them with a sort of wink and a smile, you know? Um, and he's a cool guy. And, you know, Batman is sort of... He, he's obsessed, and he's, he's sort of bitter, and he's sort of angry... And it makes that makes him edgy and cool, but Dick, I think, is the one that, you know, as a fan, you really actually relate to. Let's move to Hellblazer. You're, you've written Hellblazer. Are you writing that currently you know, on a regular basis? So I do. I'm on for three issues. With we're, we're, we're always talking about other ways to do it, and maybe some more in the future. But um, but yeah, it's a character I've wanted to write. You know, since I was a teenager. I think every everybody who's you know in comics at this point. You have a you want to do Hellblazer at some point because he's um, he's you. He tries to do good, but he's just he makes mistakes, and also he's kind of a piece of crap. Uh, so he screws everything up, and we all relate to that, you know. So even though I love that the DC universe is full of these really well-meaning and, and you know uh, and and very morally pure characters, like every once in a while, it's so great to just write a total bastard, and that's John. Okay, so three issues. Is that just a one arc? Is that one what arc? It's called um, the uh, Inspiration Game, and it's basically John has a blackout. He's blackout drunk. He wakes up and he's finds out he's killed somebody, and we find out, kind of going back, that um, the drink he was spiked. He wasn't just drinking beer. It was actually this thing called the Meat of Poetry, which is from a, a Viking myth. Uh, it's the origin of po- poetry is that. Um, 
these dwarves mixed, and this is, I didn't make this up because I'm not that crazy. These dwarves mixed this bl- the a blood of a god and honey and created mead. And the idea was that, you know, that's the origin of poetry. People get drunk and they think they're brilliant and they get inspired and they start, and, and, and in, in Viking uh, ideas, this meant that clearly mead must be a gift from the gods to inspire us. Clearly. It makes us all poets. So that's kind of the story. And, and this is what makes John unleash some nasty stuff. We've got one other thing that I know of, Green Lanterns. Talk a little bit about that. What kind of things are you planning for Green Lanterns? Um, I want to continue a lot of what Sam did. I think Sam turned it into a uh, superhero, cosmic, slice-of-life story. So um, we pick up with that right away. I want to explore the idea that these are two people who are given like the most powerful weapon in the universe, and they're trusted with it, but they have problems getting jobs on Earth because, you know, one is a, a Latina uh, with anxiety problems, and the other is a, um, a sort of former thief race car driver who is framed for terrorism. So on our planet, they, they have problems. They're, they're, they're viewed as, you know, sort of being uh, untrustworthy. But as far as the universe is concerned, give them a ring and send them to protect us all. And I think that's an interesting, you know, parallel that we can really, and, and a, a, something we can compare and contrast for good stories. Because one of the things my brother, who, who deals with anxiety, he really loved this, the part where she was dealing with anxiety and stuff. Is that going to, you're still going to carry on that notion? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have generalized anxiety disorder. I've had it uh, my whole life. I'm on all the drugs that, Je- that, that Jess would be on. I've had all the treatments she would have to go through. So I totally relate to it. I think, I mean, probably a lot of writers do because we're riddled with anxieties. But, um, but for me, that was the entry point, you know, and the idea that um, that's sort of what the ring and what the core likes about her is that she deals with fear every day, all the time. Um, is what makes her a great lantern, and that that that's really appealing to me. I think you know, and, and certainly, I get that she's kind of awkward and that she, uh, but she really means well and she tries to do uh, the best things for people. But you know, she's always plagued by this 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 doubt, and it's part of anxiety is that you worry about um, literally everything, and you question whether you're doing it because of yourself or because of the chemicals misfiring in your head. Okay, if that's not enough to keep you busy, have you got other projects we should know about? Uh, wait, is that Green Lanterns, Mandarin Friends, Fiends, uh, Hellblazer? No, that's it, right? And I, I did some covers for, I'm doing the covers for Hellblazer. Um, I haven't gotten a draw in a while, so I convinced DC to let me uh, do some art. So, What was that like to transition back from writing to art? I mean, is that, is that it's all storytelling, I understand. Yeah. But it, it, it kind of is, in my mind, it must be a real, you have to activate different parts of your head to be able to do the artwork rather than doing the, the writing of a story. It's not as different as you think. I mean, um, a lot of times I, I can't start writing something until I've drawn some things out. Like, I, I, I usually design the characters for myself. Even if some other artist takes it on, I usually design it for myself just so I know when I start reading it, writing it what the character looks like. Um, and I a lot of times do little thumbnails for... Um, for covers or um, for uh, for panels, you know. So I'm always doing it anyway. And if I do a convention, I mean, I'm sketching, so I'm doing sketches for people. Uh, so I don't get that far from art. It, it, you know, it's it's a transition back to drawing comics, which is a whole nother job. But um, yeah, you know, I, I came up as a sort of guy who didn't know there was a difference between drawing and writing. So I still treat it that way. It's basically the same thing to me, you know. When I was a kid, I didn't know really that they were separate jobs, you know, so. 
Well, I'm going to tell you, I like your writing and I like your artwork too, so I hope you keep doing all that great stuff. I will. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, let's catch up with Gail Simone, who's now at New York Comic Con. How are you doing today, Gail? New York is a great city. It's so completely different from where I live and where I'm from that I just get really energized when I'm here. And then I go home and sleep for a day. That's <laughs> what <laughs> so we all do after conventions <laughs> like this. I was listening to you being interviewed by somebody before, and you said something really interesting. They asked you about Wonder Woman's origin. And your response, if I got it right, was basically the facts of the origin aren't nearly as important as who Wonder Woman is. I do agree with that. Although the, what the uh, the question that was asked was, um, what would, is your perfect origin? And my response was, that's only my opinion. I feel like Wonder Woman was created in the beginning for girls and women, and I don't see why we need to bring in a male character to be her father or you know to be involved in her creation. So that's just my opinion. Well, it makes perfect sense. Now, as I was just telling you before we started recording, I think you've got another hit on your hands with uh, Wonder Woman Conan. The first issue came out, and I read it, and I loved it, and all my friends read it and loved it, and so we're, everybody's planning to get the whole series. Tell us about issue one and about the series right now, because I think you couldn't talk too much about the details before. How about now? Right. Well, basically, this is a story that, um, you know, in issue number one, we learn a few things, and we have a few questions, and we kind of see Conan... Be um, you know one thing I just love about Robert E. Howard's creations is I mean some people might think that they're stereotypical at this point because they've been around for so long they were so forward thinking for their time and to have this barbarian that's supposedly the perfect example of a male you know specimen however you want to word it uh, still have a sense of humor and be intelligent you know along with with the body facts and so I really wanted to bring that into the Wonder Woman Conan uh, crossover. And also with uh, Wonder Woman, she's very confident in who she is. She doesn't need to prove anything to Conan, so we're not really spending time with the, any gender issues with them having to prove to each other anything. And um, we, so it's not a, a, a male versus female team-up type of thing. The story is a lot more complicated than that. It involves um, one thing that happens in it is... We learned that Conan had a love when he was young and she disappeared uh, forever. And when he first sees this woman, he thinks that that it's his love grown up as a grown up woman. And so he kind of has these emotions that we're not really used to seeing. And uh, Wonder Woman doesn't know what the heck is going on. And and, uh, they end up getting chained to each other by a six foot chain that they can't break. And so... You know, I'm thinking that they may have to work together instead of against each other to try to to uh, defeat the Corvidae, which is this new villain, two villainesses I've created that are these crow-like women and they're these horrible witchy 
characters that are absolutely stunningly gorgeous, drawn by Aaron Lepresti, that I think most of the email that I got after the first issue was about the Corvidae. <laughs> Well, that's great when you strike a chord like that. You you mentioned Aaron's art, which I really loved. I have to say it was great, too. There were little subtle hints to remind us that she's Wonder Woman, like a star on her head and things like that, which I thought was great. What did you see when you, when you first looked at the art? Um, well, first of all, I get this reaction whenever I first look at Aaron's art, which is how stunning and gorgeous it is. And he just puts in details that just make it take your breath away, you know, and add so much. And he always draws, you know, we worked on Wonder Woman in the past together on the monthly book, and he always draws an amazing Wonder Woman, there's no doubt. But one thing I knew about him from working Carmen before, because I always ask the artists I work with what they love to draw and what they hate to draw, because the artists are going to be spending, especially if you're in an ongoing book, they're basically spending their working life working on this thing. So I don't like the idea that they're going to be, like, if they hate drawing technology, that they're going to be drawing technology for 12 issues, you know. So, and one thing that he told me that he loved to draw were barbarians. And so we did a barbarian story arc when we were doing the Wonder Woman book. And when DC approached me about doing Wonder Woman Conan, I was like, yes, of course I want to do that. This will be amazing, but can we please have Aaron draw it if he's available? So the fact that he was available and wanted to do it was really exciting. And so I was so excited with that news. And then if you can imagine, I'm even more excited with each page that he sends. Because he, he, send, he sends them through email as each page is done. And he gets all these details. He draws these incredible borders around the pages. And, and it's just the storytelling is beautiful. And it, it's just, you know, so even if you don't like the story if you don't like me or whatever you'll love the art but Aaron is so excited about the story because he thought Wonder Woman Conan's going to be a team up male versus female and when he read the script it was nothing like that and then he got excited because it was not what he thought it was going to be either so. well, it was great to see you guys back on the book and of course we've only seen the first issue so far how many issues are in the miniseries um, there's six are they monthly that's yeah. what's going to happen okay yeah, when do we expect the next one? Um, I think the first one, did it come out last week or the week before? Okay, so then two weeks from now should be the second one. Yeah. But just in time for the holidays, we'll start to get all these good issues and stuff so, like that, yes. which is good stuff. Are they going to collect it afterwards? Do you know if they made a decision? Um, I don't know that stuff ahead of time that much, but I imagine they will because it's a complete story You know, by the time it gets is there anything you can say about future issues that we could look forward to without spoiling it? <laughs> I just think, um, you know, each issue you're going to learn something new and then want to know something more about what you've learned. So I just encourage you, you know, if you like this kind of story, you love Aaron's art, uh, see it through to the end because I'm pretty proud of it and it's beautiful. I wanted to ask you, too, about Wonder Woman from the movie, because the movie, as we talked about before, just went over big time. And now the Justice League movie's coming out, and I heard a rumor, and I don't know if it's true, and you may not know either, but I got a kick when I heard that they were going to upgrade her presence in the movie because of how big her movie was. If that's true, let's just assume it's true, what's your reaction to that? My reaction is great, because like I said, you know, Wonder Woman changed my life growing up, uh, just to see a proactive female character that went out on her own adventures was huge. So I've loved her since I was a little girl, and it's really awesome to see the whole world love her now. And I love that because she has, she's a powerful character with a powerful message, and I think what I love about the movie that they accomplished is I feel like historically 
there's been a little bit of a problem with Wonder Woman can't seem to be a bunch of things at once. Like Clark, you know, Superman can be Clark Kent. He can be, you know, a husband or a boyfriend or a reporter or a son or an alien or, you know, he can be all these things. Wonder Woman just never seemed to be able to be that. And so when I was writing the book, I wanted to make a statement about that, that she could be more than just, you know, Wonder Woman. And the movie captured that perfectly. And I absolutely adore that because you can relate to every part. And it takes a lot for me to cry in a movie. I am so cynical and so busy deconstructing and saying, oh, that dialogue sucks. You know, why didn't they choose to, you know, write that line? And the Wonder Woman movie, I was literally like this on the back of this seat in front of me through the whole thing, just like absorbing all of it. Tears, smiles, everything. And my husband was like, I've never seen you like that at a movie. And you know, I'm like, I know, usually I'm like grumpy, you know. <laughs> so it, it, it hit all my notes that I needed. Well, I like to say it put the wow back in Wonder Woman. It, did. it put the wow, it put the humanity, the compassion. Because a lot of times they'll just do Wonder Woman. If she's going to be really strong, they'll do her just as a warrior. And they'll forget about the compassion part. And I just love that they were able to prove that she's a three-dimensional, well-rounded character that... Um, has that kind of appeal if they were they're going to do wonder woman 2 if they came to you and said they wanted you to script it would you write that <laughs> they haven't and i'm not because i know <laughs> who's writing it but yeah. um you know i would always love to be involved in anything but um you know it's just not going to happen at this point oh well, well maybe three maybe we'll follow up for that now let's talk about the any uh, other things that you've got coming that we should be aware of well cat stags and i have a creator owned series um at image called crosswind which uh, i'm really proud of it's really gorgeous in a completely different way than wonder woman conan it's a crime novel basically and so it's really gritty and you know violent and sexy and all those things but it's it's we're really proud of it so i'd love people to take a look at it well, you're doing wonderful stuff as usual, Gail, so please keep it up, and we'll look forward to keeping on reading Wonder Woman Conan. Oh, thank you. I hope so. <laughs> okay. It's time to talk with Cecil Castellucci from Shade the Changing Girl at uh, the Young Animals section, which I understand is called uh, Comics for Dangerous Humans. How are you doing today, Cecil? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. Talk about Shade the Changing Girl, because in the past there was Shade the Changing Man. So talk about what you're doing with this series. What's the series basically about? So Shade the Changing Girl, um, you know, it sort of springs for, from uh, Shade the Changing Man, which was created by Steve Ditko in the 70s. And um, uh, Shade the Changing Girl, well, now it's a girl. And uh, it's a, 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 an alien who's from the planet Meta, who is uh, a bird, and she is obsessed with planet Earth. Um, she thinks that Earth has, like, big emotions and big feelings, and she wants to go there and experience them. And she's also obsessed with this poet named Rack Shade. Rackshade is the original Ditko character and the one that Milligan rebooted um, in the Vertigo days. Um, so she's obsessed with this poet, Rackshade, obsessed with this um, 1950s-style TV show from Earth called Life with Honey. She steals the madness coat, goes to Earth, possesses the body of a 16-year-old girl who is in a coma. Turns out that girl was the biggest bully that ever existed in the school. Her friends may or may not have tried to let her... <laughs> have a demise, <laughs> and uh, she's a terrible person. And so now 
uh, Loma Shade has to sort of navigate the um, the consequences of a life that she didn't lead, this big bully's life, uh, and her superpower is madness. So everything is going sort of, you know, crazy around her. Um, and she's sort of trying to figure... So it's kind of this way of looking at humanity through the lens of a bird in a human's body. It's interesting because Star Trek used to do those kinds of things with Odo and Data. They were people who noticed humanity and gave their different perspective. Is that what you're, what Shade is trying to accomplish too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, I think that's like a that's like a perfect perfect way to like describe it. You know, um, these characters that are sort of outside but trying to experience humanity, and so they have a better lens on it. I think uh, Data and Odo are great, um, great, great things. I also think of like maybe someone like Lieutenant Dax because because uh, Dax is sort of co-host, and I feel like there's a little bit of an echo of the of the person that she's in um, that that sort of carries through um, that I kind of like. So you've got volume one out? Is that what you've got? Now, how many books have you made of Shade? Yeah, so issue 12 just came out, um, and uh, volume one just came out in July, and uh, volume two is going to come out in um, uh, end of January, beginning of February, yeah. And we're on a little hiatus, uh, the, the ongoing. Um, we're doing a crossover with the other young animal books, and then, um, and, then, and then we'll go on for the next six issues in Shade. Really, a crossover with the other young animals. Who's she going to run into? I can't say. <laughs> okay, it's too early for too that, early. but we just have to keep our ears to the ground and yeah, find out I about think that. They're going to be talking about it tomorrow on the panel, but I, I don't know. I don't want to get. In no, no, don't get in trouble on, on my account. No, no, don't do that. So, okay, so what is Shay doing? I mean, what's she done in the, in the several issues? Well, um, you know, the first six issues, Volume One, um, is really her sort of landing in this body and trying to figure out how how to use it you know i mean she is in the form of a bird that she's an avian and so just doing things like taking a shower or swimming or dancing or anything walking everything everything is different you know um so so she's really trying to sort of i think when you first land on earth in a human body you're a little shell-shocked and so um so uh, you know the emotions that she's experiencing are very large. She doesn't know how to manage it. And I kind of think of it as like a parallel to actually being a teenager. You know, when you're a teenager, your body's going through all these changes. You kind of don't know what's going on. Everything is the end of the world because you're experiencing everything for the first time. And that's kind of like what sort of the first six issues is. Then, you know, after the first six issues, she goes on a road trip because she's actually a college-age student back on her planet. So she's like, you know, I came to Earth to be a tourist and explore, so I'm going to go try to find, you know, my bliss in, you know, on Earth. So uh, my understanding is didn't she go to Gotham? She did go to Gotham. Yeah, she goes to Gotham in the second in the second arc. Yeah, she goes there um uh, you know, because if you're if you're going to go to a big city, wouldn't you go to somewhere like Gotham? I mean, you know, if I were an alien, I would like come to New York or you know Paris or London. So you know, I think if you're in the DC universe, you definitely want to go visit Gotham. Does it reveal too much to ask if she runs into Batman? Uh, it doesn't. I mean, the, the issue's out, so yeah, she, uh, she he is referred to, but uh, uh, I think someone says to her, "Beware of anyone wearing a cowl." <laughs> You know, I was reading some online something, and I, I never believed the internet, but I wanted to ask you. I saw somewhere on Wikipedia, they said that you invited Batman to your fourth birthday party. Is that true? It is true. I was obsessed with Adam West's Batman when I was four, and um, so much so that I thought we were really good friends, like, um, you know, me and Batman. And um, I, uh, I, I wrote him a letter with my invitation, 
and uh, put it in the mailbox. And my mom was like, you know, he's not... I don't think he's going to show up, you know? And I was like, oh, no, Batman loves me. He's totally showing up. So my mom was really worried. So she handmade a costume for my dad to wear. And he came and didn't speak and as Batman and gave me some bat binoculars and, uh, you know, a little bat sticker for my little red car that I had. And um, so, you know, that was, you know, so Batman, he did show up. And then I, fa- I figured out it was my dad and I was really mad. But my dad was like, no, Batman sent me one of his costumes because he's very busy fighting crime. I was like, oh, that's so thoughtful of him. How did you feel when Adam West passed recently? Oh, I was very, very sad. Yeah, I, I was really sad. They actually, um, I live in Los Angeles, and they um, they put the bat signal on City Hall in L.A. in honor, and I went down and uh, I went down and watched that. Yeah. Well, that's good. Cause he, his loss was a big loss. Yeah, you know. I agree. So talk about what you're going to do in the future with, uh, with Shade. I mean, now that she's been to Gotham, what's next for her that you can tell? Well, uh, I mean, I can only really talk about sort of, uh, you know, maybe the stuff that's in volume two is that, you know, she's obsessed with that character, um, Honey, from that TV show. And so uh, she's going to try to find her sort of idol and stuff like that. But I can't really talk about what's happening in the next six issues, but, um, but more stuff. Okay, we're good. No. Okay, now, you've got some other projects that you, you're doing as well. Why don't you go real quickly tell us what else you're working on? Sure. Um, I have a, a graphic novel. It's a um, historical fiction. Uh, it's about a. It's called Soupy Leaves Home. It's on Dark Horse, and it's about a girl who uh, dresses up as a boy and runs away from home and rides the rails as a hobo in Depression-era America, so it takes place in 1932. And then I have a new young adult novel called Don't Cosplay With My Heart, which is uh, YA romance at Comic-Con. Okay. <laughs> well, perfect time to talk about it, isn't it? Well, Cecil, it's great stuff. I'm sure gonna, it's Shade is going to be a big success and keep going for a long time. So keep up the great work. Thank you so much. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, from flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast, so you can keep reading your comics. It's always great to talk with James Tynan IV from DC Comics. Lots of things going on. We'll talk to, about Detective in a minute, but why don't you talk about your new book that's coming out? I assume you mean Immortal Men, but it is also, like, th- this December is a huge month for me because on one hand I'm launching uh, Immortal Men with Jim Lee, which is uh, a, a big new series about the secret history of heroes and villains of the DC Universe. Uh, tying into the mythologies of like Vandal Savage and other and the Council of Mortals that we have been seeing uh, play out in the pages of Metal, but all simultaneously we are uh, like you know creating these crazy new characters uh, from different eras of like history uh, heroes that were lost to history deliberately that they they gave up their their public hero lives to to uh, 
fall back into the shadows and join this secret war that's been raging on for centuries. Um, and uh, I'm so excited about that. I'm working with Jim Lee, little-known artist. Uh, and uh, it, it's been an incredible experience. But also in December, I'm also launching Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Uh, and so the, it's... Uh, and we've got two issues of that coming out in December. So it's like we've got the... You know, that that's just a follow-up to uh, my favorite run, bringing uh, Bat... Like, if the first one brought uh, the Turtles to Gotham City, now we're bringing Gotham City to the Turtles. We're going to Turtles New York City and uh, playing all of that out. So, you know, and I'm returning with Freddie Williams on that one. And uh, so December's a really fun time. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's pretty crazy. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be a crazy month. Just in time for the holidays, people oh, yeah. can buy good stuff. Talk about the Immortal Man and how this is coming to be. I, I'm, I it, it's spinning out of metal. Is that what's going on with it? How's this happening? Um. Well, it it, it is there. There. It's definitely spinning out of metal in some ways. But the real uh, the real impetus for this whole run is that we. You know, and this is something I used to get depressed about when I started in comics because I'm only five years into my comics career, uh, and I didn't come in in the age where you could uh, go to the bosses and pitch a brand new character like Firestorm, or go back, go and pitch like a Metamorpho or something like that. There, there, people don't let uh, like it felt like I had missed the era where you can add things to the DC universe uh, or or any superhero universe, um, and. Uh, so early this year when uh, Jim Lee sat me down and said that, okay, we, we want this new initiative. We want, like, we've gone back to core, to the core things that make our characters work and that uh, remind everyone uh, that we love them as much as they do with Rebirth. Um, and uh, then, so now we, need to, now we need to take that one step further. And we need to take the spirit that led to the creation of those characters and we need to do it again. And it needs to be grounded in the world that we know and love. But we need to go, we want to, what are the gaps in the universe? What are the stories that aren't being told? Um, and uh, Jim talked to me about uh, an old DC concept called the Immortal Man um, and uh, how it was fascinating him. And he started talking about the idea of, uh, you know, if, uh, like, how, how humans, they can build things over many lifetimes, like how a uh, cathedral is built over many human lifetimes. And it's like, what does an immortal build? Uh, and that was the question he posed to me. And then somewhere in there I was like, wait, are you saying you're going to draw this series? And I, I, I flipped out. Um, so it's, it's really a chance to create big, new, crazy stuff for the DC Universe rooted deeply in the core mythology of DC. Like, this is, uh, you know, part of the whole fun of this is is seeing that there has been this whole secret history of the immortals like you know carter hall has been interacting with characters like vandal savage and rachel ghoul and all of that for centuries and we just haven't seen those stories uh and what have the immortals been up to what have they been doing uh all this time and that's the that's really a kind of core question that's going to drive all of this I belong to a Hawkman group on Facebook. They're going to be happy to hear that. So they're going to, any Carter Hall stuff they're going to be doing. I really love the Turtles and Batman and stuff, too. I can't wait to see what you're going to do with two because those were great fun. I know that you prefer teen characters a lot of the time. You've said in the past you like doing that. Doing the Turtles and talking and giving them their voice and stuff like that, what's that like? Because that's, you know, that's an established franchise. Of course, you're used to that now with Batman. 
Blending those two, how was that for you, making those two universes interact like that, coexist? How was that for you? I mean, every like I get that question a lot, and there I've sort of two answers. Like on one hand, it's easy because they are thematically very similar. Like they, at, at its core, every Batman story is about family. It's about the loss of family, and uh, at the core, every Turtle story is about family. It's about protecting family, and because of that, that that was the thing that in the first story I kind of. Uh, in the r- relationship between Raphael and Batman, I was able to touch on that directly. And uh, as long as the core of the story lands in that zone, it- it's really easy to kind of add everything on. Because secondly, uh, you know, people uh, like we're just pretending that Batman's more realistic than Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like we've got Batman going up against like uh, you know a guy with a science fiction ice ray gun. Like it is it, Batman is just as big and silly as uh, as a bunch of teen, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, so you know really as long as you as long as you respect the characters and you embrace what what generation what like you know generations of fans have loved about both and then then you just have fun with it like you make sure that it's got the emotional heart and then you just throw in all the crazy stuff and everyone loves it it's great <laughs> it's wonderful stuff i got to get to detective because i am of the opinion i know a lot of people that this is the best book that dc's making right now I just love Detective. I love. I I told you once before. I I didn't think Clayface would ever work, but you proved me really wrong with that. You're, it's a terrific book. Talk to me about Detective and where it's going to go because you're coming to a big milestone before too long, and I'm sure you've already got that planned in in your mind what you're going to do with that. You're not going to let that go by. Talk to me about that, and I also want to get into Tim Drake just a little bit. Who's on the team right now? Who's because there's been a little shift going on. Who's on it at this point? Well, the core team, uh, you know, heading into the story Lonely Place of Living has been Batman, Batwoman, uh, Orphan, uh, Clayface, uh, Azrael, and Batwing. Um, And the big thing that Lonely Place of Living is going to do is bring Tim Drake, Red Robin, right back into the midst of the team. That, as we've revealed, we, we didn't really know this in the first arc, uh, in Rise of the Batman, but uh, we didn't realize that uh, a lot of how the team operates and the Belfry itself was Tim's idea. Tim helped build them. He, it was kind of, uh, it was a mission that he started putting together, um, and we're starting to <coughs> to see that play out in uh, in Detective Comics. And when he comes back in, especially as shaken as he is from the events of Lonely Place of Living. It's going to really destabilize things, and uh, you know. And then on top of that, we are going to have uh, like Tim is going to bring back in Stephanie Brown, uh, spoiler, and she's going to be with the team uh, again as well. And it's like she has had her own issues with with the team and all of that. So we're going to see the team in this kind of dangerous moment where they need to be banding together. Uh, and when. Uh, you know, when another attack happens, uh, led by the victim syndicate uh, and anarchy together, we are going to see the team destabilized in a way that uh, they don't know if they can handle. Uh, because really, at the at the heart of it, all the at all this time, it was Tim's optimism, and that's been shaken. Um, and uh, you know, and, and we're going to sort of see what what happens next. 
the whole Mr. Oz thing has been kind of fun. Have you been working with the Superman group in order to coordinate and make those things happen? Oh, yes. Uh, basically, back in the spring, uh, you know, and it, like before, Jeff, had, uh, Jeff Johns had brought me in to, uh, to really lay out the pieces of that originally took Tim Drake off the board. Uh, like, you know, it was Jeff who, because originally we were actually going to have that the death of Tim Drake moment as a cliffhanger of uh, the previous, it, it, of 939, and then 940, we would then reveal that in a, that he was in Mr. Oz's prison, and it was Jeff saying, no, 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 like, you need to know in the same issue. You need to convince them that, that you need to, like, land the emotions that, it, that make everyone, everyone reading the book believe he's dead, and then you want them to cheer when they know he's not. And he was dead right. Um, you know, I mean, it's Jeff Johns. He's one of the masters of the medium. Um, and we had uh, we had another meeting earlier this year where we laid out uh, what ultimately became the Oz effect and Lonely Place of Living. And it was me and Dan Jurgens in the room uh, with Jeff Johns. And initially, we had sort of gone in there thinking it would be something almost like the button, where it would be part one in action, part two detective, and so on and so forth. And Jeff was the one who said, like, this is a deeply personal Superman story with Superman and his father. This is a deeply personal Tim Drake story with Tim facing uh, his potential and uh, what he might become. Like, those aren't the same story. And like this, and especially because this fall we've got metal going on and doing all this big crazy stuff, and we've got uh, Doomsday Clock right around the corner. It's like these stories are like make them personal. Like do do a definitive Tim Drake story and do a definitive Superman story because everyone's got the, the the events are already there. Um, and that was that's always like when your boss tells you that like you know that that's a great feeling and uh, I'm tremendously proud of the story I built and I'm tremendously uh, like as, uh, on a fanboy level I, I I love seeing what Dan Dan ended up uh, putting together uh, based on those early discussions but it, the story always kind of started in the same place where we have the reveal of Mr Oz and then it sort of branches off in two different ways and we'll see reflections. Uh, as the story goes forward, but ultimately, they are separate stories. Are there any other things? I know this is a lot already we've talked about. Are there other projects you're working on that we should be aware of? Uh, I, uh, oh boy. I mean, I've been helping out a lot on the on all of Metal and uh, the Dark Knight specials in particular. We've got the Batman Who Laughs coming out in November, uh, as well as Batman Lost, which sort of uh, serves as Metal 3.5, I'd say. Uh, that is sort of the you know the story of batman lost in the dark multiverse and it's a deeply like frightening nightmare story uh that is one of the most beautiful comics i've ever been a part of uh, And batman who laughs is with riley rossmo and he did an absolutely stellar job uh all of these dark knight specials are really something to behold we we like they're they are incredible like i i mean I think everyone loves an alternate Batman story, and we've got we got to do seven of them right in a row. Um, so we've got that uh, uh, coming up, and then uh, you know, outside of that, uh, the last issue, The Woods, my long-running Boom Studio series, comes out next month, and I just launched uh, a uh, a horror miniseries called Eugenic with Boom Studios that'll run three issues and is the final 
uh, final part of my Apocalypse trilogy that started with Mimetic and then Cognetic a while ago. So it's been a crazy, crazy, like I'm working on too many books, but I love them all. Um, and uh, I hope other people do too. Well, we're enjoying your stuff. Please keep it up, James. You're doing terrific stuff. So, man, we need to get more of your stuff, believe it or not, than what you've already done. Thanks. Oh, boy. Well, uh, I'll keep at it then. It's always an honor to talk with comics legend Neil Adams. How are you doing today, Neil? I'm doing fantastic. This convention may be the best convention ever. Really? May, well, because they've done a new thing. They they sell daily tickets, so you can get all your work. Uh, you can buy two-day tickets, but you do everything you want in that day, and then if you buy another ticket, you go for another day. So they distribute the people throughout the convention, so it's not... Oh, nobody's coming uh, on Friday, but everybody's coming on Saturday, and you can't walk. Now, all the tickets are distributed evenly through the four days, so everybody gets a shot at everything they want to do. So you, I think it's great. So you'd like for them to continue that? I'd like other conventions to pay attention to that model and to give it a try. Well, my understanding is you've got a great new series coming from D.C., uh, that you're going to be writing and drawing, which I know you happen to like doing. So, not, not unlike Batman Odyssey and the coming of the Superman. That's right. Then this is Dead Man. What can you tell us about that series? Well, I can tell you that uh, when I first did Dead Man, which was ages ago when you were a young boy, uh, I don't know if you read it at the time where you got to pick up on it. Uh, I never finished it. We had a time in uh, in comic books when distribution of comic books was very strange and very weird, and we had the beginning of the direct sales market. And comic books that they thought were selling weren't selling, and comic books they didn't think were selling were selling, and they couldn't understand what was going on. And they didn't understand that the direct sales market had already entered into that market and were buying up the Dead Man's and the Swamp Things and the Green Lantern, Green Arrows, and the Conan's. So the publishers had no idea what they were canceling when they canceled the book. Clearly, Dead Men was very popular, very popular, especially with the older kids and the high school kids and the college students. So I got, unfortunately, it was cut off in midstream. And we were dealing with a character that is not a, a guy in spandex. He happened to have a costume on when he was killed, and that's the reason he has the costume, because he has to live with that costume the rest of his death. But he is a real person in a real world, and he's dead. This is not a thing that happens to people commonly. So his story... It's got to be one of the most unique stories in comic books. And we've never got to see it. We got to see the beginning. We haven't gotten to see the end. And so when other people picked it up, they didn't know all the plans that I had made for Dead Man. So they did basically the adventures of Dead Man. You know, how he, Dead Man gets your cat out of the tree or whatever. They were not doing real uh, the real continuation of Dead Man because they didn't know what it was. And now I'm revealing that. Some of the things, for just a couple of things, for example... He has another bro older brother and sister. Nobody knows that. He has a father and mother that are still alive. And they have their own circus. And he hates them. And he hates them because his think he thinks his father was involved in a plot to have his brother be carried off so that his mother would remain alive and a deal was made with the devil. And the devil in this case was Ra's al Ghul. Dead Man's dad made a deal with Ra's al Ghul to save his wife's life 
a, a deal that he unfortunately was too stupid to realize the cost would be so great because you're really making a deal with Ra's al Ghul, which is the same as making a deal with the devil. So now that payment has caused a rift in the family and Dead Man doesn't understand what, what this has to do with his being killed. And he wasn't killed as a test for, for the League of Assassins. He was assassinated. So we're going to track down that story and we're going to go very, very far because Dead Man doesn't live in the world that we live in. He's dead. Which is all just cool. It's really great that you're finally going to get to tell all this story. Oh, well, yeah, it's great for me. I mean, look, there was a reason, I think, I think you could say there's a reason that uh, a movie of Dead Man was not made because there are fans of Dead Man who are directors and, uh, and want to do that movie. They never heard the full story. They heard the beginning. And so they're left with, you know, the beginning of a, of a story that they never got to see the other chapters of. And once they do, I think they'll go ahead and make a movie. I don't, I don't think they could resist. Are they going to re-release the stuff you did in the past so that we can be ready? Releasing it in general, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, I think, I think probably the, the smartest thing that for DC to do would be to re-release those right in the middle of the series so people can, you know, catch up on the old stories. But I didn't leave people hanging. I did a little synopsizing in the first story. Not a synopsis, full synopsis, but just enough to let you, you know, get a, a sense of the flavor of it. The older generation of people, of course, will pick up on that and they'll get it. The younger generation might have to wait for the re republishing of the book. But they did, uh, uh, three or four years ago, uh, a graphic, you know, a collection of Dead Man stories. I, it seems logical they'll probably do that again. Yeah, it sounds great. Now, how many issues is this going to be? Do we know yet? Or? This is going to be six issues, and we're doing special effect covers. I didn't mention it to the last interview, but we're doing... Like the first cover is a glow-in-the-dark cover, but not because not because a glow-in-the-dark cover is a good idea, but because it's radiation poisoning. The second cover, when you look at the second cover, you're going to see Dead Man on the cover all by himself, and you're going to be wondering what's going on because he's spinning and looking around to dead air around him. He can't see anything. And when you pick up the book and you hold that book up to the light, you will see a lion suddenly appear in that dead air, leaping on Dead Man. Now, these are tricks and things that I've learned in the advertising business. So they're things that you're going to get as surprises for every single cover in those six issues. Now, we sort of planned it for 12 issues, but we're going to do the six issues to see how it goes and to see if we're going to do any additional planning for the next six issues. So it's going to be a very exciting. And, and as, a, as a reader, I advise people, please go out and order your books because if they're disappearing from the shelves and you can't get there and they're all sold out, don't come to me. Please do not say, Neil, why didn't, why didn't you see that there are more books out there? And the second uh, caution is, read every word. Read every word. This is not a book you can lightly read. You have to know everything that's going on because you're going to be flipping back to books two books ago. Uh, there are things even in, in Batman Odyssey where, that people, every time they read Batman Odyssey, they find something new. Many things new very often. So you got to catch up with this stuff. This is, it's turning into a, a, I don't want to say an adult medium. I want to say an adult medium in the best possible sense. The kid and the adult, that medium, an intelligent reader. Well, I always liked his power, the fact that he could inhabit somebody else's body and then speak to somebody. That's right. the only time he could ever be understood or, or speak. Right. Are you going to play to that? Are we going to explain why that is? Well, we're not, gonna, not, not only going to do that. There are some people who can resist that because there are some members of a cult like, you may not have noticed that when he went to the, uh, the sensei, he tried to get into the sensei's body, the sensei was able to resist him and force him back out. 
So now we have a problem. Is, is this a pure power or is this a power that's modified by the circumstances and by the abilities of the people around them that he's using? So there's something going on here that we don't know about. So there are secrets that need to be revealed. We have, remember that dead man deals in a, in a place that's beyond death. We can talk about interdimensional stuff. We can talk about uh, areas of gods and sub-gods. We can talk about places on the earth. We can talk about um, uh, even uh, there's there's areas. So you guys are going to have to go into, onto the internet and look these these things up. I mean, a lot of people didn't with Dead Man and go into the Hollow Earth theory, which is all over the internet, and you really have to look into that stuff. But this even falls into that area. We have you really sort of have to be well read. I mean, I'm not I'm not chastising anybody but you know us folks in comic books do we do like to read and this is exactly the kind of story that you're going to be be having to read about and for to know what's going on so we have to think and we have to learn yes i'm sorry i'm sorry you're gonna (laughs) you're gonna have to think and you're gonna have to learn but it's going to be fun good good now i understand you got three guest stars that are, are of note in the book you got Batman. I got Batman, who is actually for the for the most of the first part of the book is disguised as Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon is in the book, but Batman takes his place because they're going to assassinate Commissioner Gordon. Who better to take his place but Batman? So you're as you're reading the book, you have to pay attention to wait a second. That's not Commissioner Gordon. That's Batman, and that's not this guy. That's Dead Man. Wait a second. Dead Man jumped over here. Oh, de- wait a second, Dead Man's over here. Oh, Batman's out of Commissioner Gordon. Dead Man's in Commissioner Gordon. So you really have to pay attention to what's going on. There's a lot of body hopping going on. Well, you're still going to draw Batman a time or two, aren't you? Yeah, I, I, I draw him pretty well. Yeah, oh, I love when you do Batman. Now and then. You know. I love that. So I, I'm looking forward to that greatly. Um, also, Dr. Fate is in there. Yes, and so is the Spectre. I mean, there's... And, you know, people don't really separate their powers. They all seem to be able to have some mystical-like power, but no... I'm separating them in their in their attitudes and what they do, so you're not dealing with ca- characters that are not delineated. Entrigan is probably the funniest because he tells, he does poetry while he's you know, ghouly doing things, and uh, some of the characters would rather save life. Other characters would rather leave them to their fate, like Doctor Fate. Uh, there's a lot of that going on. So in the background, you have these ca- characters interplaying while Dead Man's on his mission. Would rather get rid of them. But they're sticking around. What's the release date for this? Well, the first one comes out, I don't know exactly the date, the day, but it's coming out on the Mexican Day of the Dead, which happens right after Halloween, which is obviously the perfect time for it to come out. Well done. I think that's terrific. This, I'm really expecting big things from this. I'm sure it's going to be a huge success. Well, I don't know if it's going to be a huge success. I hope that it's going to be good for people and they're going to enjoy it. It's success, you know, is a matter of, you know, the, the roll of the dice. I think, I think... If, if the kind of readers that I believe are in comic books are going to get this comic book and read it, they're going to enjoy it, and they'll spread the word, and it will be a big success. But I think, I think of it as like rolling thunder, you know? People talk to other people, and that's how you build a success. We'll see what happens. Well, I'm optimistic. I think it's going to turn out very well. I can't, I can't wait to read it well, myself. Well, I do suggest that you do get down and make sure your order is in. Because I can't guarantee that they're going to remain in the stores. Well, thanks so much, Neil. Keep up the wonderful work. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll be delighted. A 
I'm really glad to get to talk with Ray Fox, who's got a really great project coming from D.C. that I'm looking forward to. How are you doing? Doing very well, thank you. Great. Uh, talk about Ragman, because he's got a rich history. How much of that interesting history are you going to use? Are, you going to, are there other things you're going to do with him? Well, Ragman does have a great history. I mean, he was originally uh, created, in, I believe, in the 70s or the early 80s. And, uh, and he was very much like a, a hero of the downtrodden. And then in the 90s, he was reworked into this supernatural hero. And uh, I love both versions of, of him. So uh, we're, we're launching him again. In, uh, and he's kind of the best of both worlds now. He is um, the combat veteran living uh, in the slums of Gotham City uh, who gains the supernatural abilities. And uh, I'm very excited to present it. How did it happen? I mean, did you recommend it? Did they come to you? How did it happen? Uh, it was kind of a, a little bit of both. It was I was in a pitch meeting, and, and uh, Dan DiDio asked me what characters I was interested in, and I presented a couple, and he immediately perked up when I said Ragman and said, do you have an idea for Ragman? And, and I did, and it led to a very excited conversation. Now, my understanding is you're kind of the supernatural guy, especially in, like, the Batman area, because you did, like, Batman Eternal. Whenever there was a supernatural thing going on, they had you writing that. Is that one of the things that's going to help you when you're doing Ragman? Uh, yeah, actually, I'm super pleased to be considered the supernatural guy in Gotham City. <laughs> um, very much so. I mean, I'm very simpatico with the dark supernatural kind of side of the DC universe, and, and um, I think it helped me a lot with this angle on Ragman and, and with understanding him. And also, I mean, there will be a couple of other sort of fan-favorite supernatural characters showing up in the Ragman series, and um, I was very pleased to be able to put them in there as well. When's it going to start? Let's, let's get that information in. The first issue is out on October 11th, I believe, uh, and uh, it's, uh, it will run from then. Is it ongoing? It's a six-issue series. So if that does really well, we might get more Ragman? I assume so. I'm always happy to hope so. Now, I've seen Ragman on the... F on f it's Arrow that he's on. I keep thinking it's Flash, but it's not. Have you watched that? Is he going to be anything like that character? Is he going to have like a Jewish background kind of thing? I have watched uh, The Ragman on Arrow. We are not really, um, I'm not feeling that we have to be beholden to the show. I feel like I love seeing all the different interpretations of the characters. Um, the core of him is the same. Uh, Rory as Ragman, he does have the Jewish heritage. Um, he is, like I said, a combat vet. And there is that supernatural element to him. But uh, the way he's presented in the show will be actually a little bit different from the way you see him in the comic books. I think we are free to explore a different direction with him. Um, and I think fans will really like it. Yeah, over the miniseries, are you going to be following like one single storyline, or are you going to have multiple things going on in different issues? How are you going to do that? Uh, it is a single storyline where uh, you know Rory sort of faces a number of different foes. Um, so, uh, of course, being a limited series, it, it is uh, a sort of a, a one particularly intense story. And uh, uh, yeah, it's it's sort of it's got its episodes, but really, it's one story. Is this in Gotham, or is it, yeah? Yeah, no, it's set in Gotham City. It's, uh, like, it's, it's in the slums of Gotham City. This sort of, you know, Rory is kind of friends to a lot of the people that most of the heroes don't usually see. Now, of course, being Gotham, there's somebody who might show up. Are we going to see Batman along the line? You may see him or one of the Bat family. We'll see. Okay. You know? So that's something to look forward to. So... Talk about his powers. Are you going to have his powers be similar to what's been in the past? 
Talk about what kind of things he can and can't do with the rags. Uh, well, Rory's rags contain within them souls, and uh, those souls can empower him. Um, we are showing, in this book in particular, we're showing the relationship that Rory has with the souls that are inside his suit. And um, they do lend him powers. They do lend him, you know, strength and speed and, and uh, a limited ability to change his shape and stuff like that. But the main thing that they actually lend him is the ability to see through the eyes of these souls and to understand them and through them understand the people around him more. So, you know, in a really weird way, uh, Ragman is a kind of super empath because if he defeats a criminal and he absorbs their soul, he becomes uh, able to understand why they became the way they are and, and who else might be like them. Um, so he has a kind of unique outlook on the people that he battles. Is it through touch? I mean, is that how he absorbs the souls? How, do, how does the rags get the souls into them? Uh, well, that's a little bit where the horror element comes into this book. Um, the souls are, uh, the, the rags themselves are a little bit vampiric, and um, Rory has some conscious control and some unconscious control over how the souls take hold of somebody, or how the rags take hold of somebody and drain their soul. You'll see in the book how it unfolds. There are times where Rory himself is not too happy about it. So this is basically like a reboot for the character? Um, it's sort of a reintroduction to the character. There's nothing that has been so wildly changed that I would consider it a reboot, um, but it has been a while since readers have had a chance to really get a hold of Ragman, so I would I would call it a reintroduction. Okay, so he's going to have other supernatural uh, friends around. What about villains and, and who he's going to be against? What can you tell us, without spoiling anything, about what kind of challenges he's going to have? Well, I mean, Rory is going to face um, people who are changed like himself, but by very dark forces. So um, a lot of the people that he deals with are traumatized in one way or another, and there are creatures in the DC universe that take advantage of trauma and turn it to their own ends. Uh, so a lot of the foes that Rory will be facing will be the things that feed on pain in the DC universe. Are these going to be new characters? Are these going to be ones we've seen before? Some of them are new and some are very familiar to readers. Readers will recognize some of them right away. Of course, it's great to deal with familiar characters, but if you get to create new characters, that must be a lot of fun. What, was the, what did you go through? What kind of challenges did you have to do when you were creating these characters? Uh, purely creative challenges. Uh, DC was, uh, and DC Editorial was totally supportive when I presented some of the new characters that we were designing for this book. Uh, there was uh, there was no real difficulties as far as presenting them. Uh, it was really exciting, actually. So might we see these characters in Ragman and other places if this does well? I like to think so, yeah. I mean, it's been floated. Inaki Miranda, who drew the book beautifully, by the way, uh, has in the past said that he thinks Ragman deserves to be an A-list character and, and ought to be in the Justice League. If we could see that happen, I would be thrilled. Well, Ragman is, is interesting because he's got this darkness and, and multiple things going on inside of him so that makes him it's probably for you as a writer that's a lot uh, something interesting to write somebody who was not necessarily all the time heroic that must be fun for you especially with the supernatural part to, to bring all that talk about the character himself and, and what kind of things you want it, the, the readers to understand about well I mean for a writer like me there's nothing better than to sink your teeth into someone who's conflicted and and has sort of some you know troubles 
went inside himself. So um, Rory to me is actually a, a really, uh, it was an opportunity to uh, depict what I consider to be a great hero because he is a person who's in a lot of pain as a former soldier and as a soldier who's lost friends. And as readers will see in the first issue, some of the friends he's lost are contained inside the suit of souls. Um, so he's a person in constant internal struggle and strife, and yet when he sees pain in other people, he chooses to go and help them before he helps himself. And to me, that defines a great hero. To me, that's like when we see people in the real world who are like first responders and rescuers and soldiers and such. These are the people who put their own pain second and put other people's peril first. Um, and I love that even in this weird supernatural corner of the DC universe where we're dealing with horror, we can show somebody who has a heart like a true hero and honestly does deserve to be standing next to people like Batman and Green Lantern. It's so interesting because, you know, the whole notion that uh, the heroes like that run to danger when everybody else runs away. Ragman's going to do that supernaturally. He's going to go towards supernatural bad guys that everybody else in the world's probably running from. Absolutely, yes. And I mean, one of the things about the, the, the Cloak of Rags is that it grants him the ability to see the supernatural danger before other people might perceive it. And uh, Rory is definitely the kind of person who will throw himself at it before allowing innocence to be harmed. Wow, I'm really looking forward to this miniseries. Can't wait. Uh, what other things are you working on that we should be aware of? Um, I can't talk about any of the DC stuff that I'm working on right now, so I'll let, let's just focus on Ragman for now. Okay. All right, well, it sounds like a terrific series. I can't wait for it. This character, I think, has been underutilized, so to give you a chance to bring him to the forefront, I think, is wonderful, so can't wait. Um, I'm very pleased to present him, and I, I hope he becomes huge after this. Okay, it's great to talk again with Steve Orlando, one of the most prolific writers in D.C. He's got just about every book I can imagine writing, including Supergirl. I'm trying. <laughs> talk about Supergirl. What's going on with Supergirl? Uh, Supergirl is, uh, after the events of Girl of No Tomorrow, she, her compassion for her father has actually led to her losing the trust of National City, uh, you know, who are not necessarily as equipped or did not expect that her compassion would extend to someone uh, who had made the mistakes that Zorel has made. Uh, and so in many ways her goodness and her uh, ha has led to people to feel that she is maybe not on their side because she's on everyone's side and we don't always like that. Uh, so as the new arc begins, uh, her, she is still being Supergirl and still helping people, but now the DEO is after her. Now people are not sure where she stands. And so she is defiant and she is uh, indignant in her, in her dedication to helping people. Uh, which I think is even more telling of her character. There are no conditions on her love for us, even if we're not sure we are, we're ready for it, you know? So how does this interact with their other super characters? Do you, do you guys like conference on how you guys are doing stuff? Or like Supergirl, you know, I'm also interested in the television show, which is doing pretty well. How does this all work with your stuff? I mean, with, with the stories you tell? Well, we talk in the Superman office very often. The television show is kind of its own thing. Uh, but, you know, we're always... I mean, I always know what Pete is doing in Superman. We actually read each other's books before they come out, so we're all very aware of what's going on there. Uh, and we just look for moments where we can boost each other's stories up and reference them and sort of, and, and sort of give everything uh, a little lift, you know, um, and hopefully rise all ships at the same time. You know, we want to be able to tell our own stories without necessarily, like... 
getting in the way of each other, and then if we can have hints and things that show the interconnected universe, even better. Good talking with you, Steve. It's a real honor to talk with one of the classics, John Romina Jr. right here, who's got something great going on. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing very well, thanks. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Now, talk about your project that's coming up, Silencer. How did it come to be, and, and, and like who the character is? We went on, we, I say that some writers, artists, and uh, editors went on a retreat back in February and with the sole purpose of coming up with something new. Not that things were stale, but there's nothing wrong with coming up with new characters. And it, we were kind of floundering around with ideas, and everybody had some nice ideas. Not necessarily new characters. And Dan Abnett said, if we can't come up with something new this way, I'm going to read off a whole bunch of names of characters that I have just accumulated over the years. Interesting phrases, interesting names. And he started reeling off all of these, the somebody's, this somebody, and he read off Silencer. And I immediately put my hand up and said, that's one of the coolest names I've heard in a while. Because, interestingly enough, DC had been looking, and at this retreat, interesting, looking for a version of the Punisher. Not the 80s Punisher, per se, but something along those lines of an operative and James Bond-esque type of thing. And uh, when I said I love that name, Dan Abnett's eyes perked up, and he says, okay, we've got to talk about this. And here we are, we forward maybe 10 months later, and we've developed a new character. The excitement about it is it's new. It's not a perfectly original new idea. It's difficult to do that. But she's different. The character is different. She's a lady of color. She's from, her heritage is, the, is from Polynesia. She's a dark-skinned lady. Not the standard blonde, blonde bombshell. And she's a, a muscular, fit lady that was in the industry, so to speak, as an operative under the aegis of Talia al Ghul. So there's the link to the DC Universe. And yet she's all completely new. But she's timed out. She's done with her. He's done her time in the in the industry. Goes back to being a housewife and a wife, housewife and a mother. And suddenly it rears its head again. The business and Talia Al Ghul. Although Talia doesn't come to her until after she's attacked. She gets attacked in the parking lot of, of Walmart and realizes that it's not over. But doesn't think it's the beginning of a trend until she gets home and Talia just winds up on her doorstep. And uh oh. And gets sucked into it, well, dragged into it, and then uh, here we are. And she's a great character, different character. She's just a badass. Talk to me about a woman of color being a lead character like that, because I wish we had a lot more of those, and I'm, I'm really thrilled to hear that you're doing that. Who decided to do that? Was that a joint decision between the two of you to go in that direction? I think we all, when Dan said he thought of her as a... As a, uh, a a Danish or a Norwegian type of a lady. Nobody just screamed and said, oh my God, we can't have that. But what we wanted to do was do something different with her. And everybody said, we got to make her either African-American or Spanish. I said, wait a minute, what? There you go. You're, you're basically doing the same thing that you disagreed with Dan over. Is We don't want to do the exact same thing because, yes, there are plenty of people of color. I said, well, here's very simple. I think some of the most beautiful women I have ever encountered in my life are Polynesian women. We went to South Pacific. I was in Tahiti. These are the most beautiful people I've ever seen in my life. I said, I'm going to make a Polynesian. I gave her a Polynesian war tattoo. Uh, it's the symbol, and it's in the middle of her back. Because instead of pigeonholing our characters into three, white, black, brown, yellow, four, let's 
add another one. So we made a Polynesian. It was my idea, mostly because I had all these photographs of all these beautiful people when I was on vacation. So the, the idea is that to make it less important, instead of saying, well, we have, see, we're diverse, we're doing this. That's not important. She's just a beautiful woman. She also doesn't happen to be any one of the above. And that was, that's by the wayside. It's unimportant. But now we have great ideas. And then we have three, two other great artists. And the three of us are going to come up with these beautiful visuals. I can't wait. Sandra Archer, her line work is as good as anybody in the business right now. And Dean White goes without saying. I think he's the top art, art artist, in the, uh, color artist in the business. I'm lucky. And I get to work with Dan again. Not again. First time. Get with Dan. When's this going to start coming out? I believe it launches in January. I'm not positive. Could be, could be end of December. Okay. Is, is this part of a... Is this dark matter? Which, which, is this an I'm initiative? I'm not sure if it's dark matter. Okay. Uh, but it's coming out along the lines of that, so maybe it is. But it's a new character along these... Yeah, probably is. I feel so stupid for not knowing exactly. Well, they, either way, it doesn't matter. dark matter? Not, well, no more dark matter, remember. Okay. New Age of DC Heroes. New Age of DC Heroes. Okay. Okay. All right. about that. Now... now as far as doing the things with, with Dan and you did still with Scott Snyder and other things like that, it's great that you get to work with some of the, the names that I think are some of the best in the business. And, I, and, of course, your art, I think, matches that. Do you... How does that work? I mean, do, do they approach you? Do you approach them? Does it work both ways? Combination of all of the above. If, if they ask me, would I be interested in doing this? They also, at the same time, will say, well, what would you like to do? It's nice. Uh, this thing with Frank that's coming up with Superman Year One had been talking about it for quite a while and at the same time saying well listen we got these new characters we'd like to launch do you mind launching this new characters that you're working on with Dan first and then we'll get you onto that Superman thing it wasn't a quid pro quo as much as let's get our ducks in order when you finish the uh, the, the, the um, what's the movie we just did with uh, oh my god I just did a run on it with um, the 11 issues uh, the Oh, my God. Suicide Squad. Okay. I haven't had much sleep. I apologize. <laughs> Suicide, once you get done with Suicide Squad, uh-huh. we're lining up this, the new character, creation of this new uh, character, and then we got Superman Year One lined up. So th- they've more or less offered up a chance to do this, this, and this, and say, unless you have something you'd rather do. And I'll say, I wouldn't mind doing this. And then I got a chance to work on anything with Frank again. I jump at the chance. Uh, and then there's more of that down the line. Frank's got some other stuff lined up behind that. I'm flattered, but the chance to launch a new character is more exciting than you can imagine. Especially because it is almost impossible to come up with a new premise in this business. I just said it to somebody else. It's almost like coming up with a new melody. How do you come up with a new melody after a thousand years of music? Well, you try, and you you hit it, and sometimes you fail. But this time we're going to hit it. So uh, the family characters, how about them? Are they going to... Because she's kind of a unique character. Are you going to make the family members unique as well? Or how's that going to function? Can't say. Because that's something we've all bounced off each other down the line. What the husband is, what the son is. I'll be good with something we got to look forward to. That's what we're going to do about that. As far as, like, you, you, you said that you're going to be involved in the design of the character as well as the others, right? Is, it, is that how you... Just the one silencer. Are you just going to do the, the main character? Yes, yes. Okay. Now, the other characters, you mean in the book, within the title? Well, the, the husband and the son have already been designed. The other uh, ancillary, the villains, we've already designed some of those. Uh, Dan came up with a whole bunch of names with a description of what he had in mind, and I get to run with it. 
Now, I've got to ask you, of course, Talia Al Ghul, that alludes to Batman. Any chance we might see the Cape Crusader somewhere in there? No idea. Okay. No idea. But I don't know if that's necessarily a good idea at, at the launch. I'd like to see it stand on its own two feet. Okay. Now, what about uh, as far as doing things ahead of time and stuff like that, keeping the schedule going with these things? Because Dan is a pretty prolific writer, and you work pretty well pretty quickly. The monthly schedule, it's going to come out monthly, right? It is. And then I get a chance to also work on Kick-Ass while I'm doing this. Goodness yeah. gracious. Nobody's supposed to know that. Well, okay, well, we won't tell anybody. But I do that on the weekends okay. and at night. Wow. Good heavens. <laughs> You're a busy guy. I watched an interview where you talked about your dad, and you said that your dad sits and smiles because he knows that you can never match him as far as the art goes. <laughs> and I had to smile because I thought, you know, that... You're giving him a good run for his money there with your Let me artwork. tell you something. I, I've seen what he does uh, on the side with little sketches and uh, remarks. He says he can't ink anymore. He doesn't think his hands are steady enough. I saw him do a s- slew of Spider-Man sketches and Mary Jane sketches for about 100 books. And inside of 10, he was doing stuff that he did when he was 35. He can still do it. He just doesn't think he can because he's tired of... He doesn't want to... Cons- he loves retirement. I bet you if he ate his Wheaties and got back into it, he could probably do some beautiful work. What about you working with your dad? I mean, how about that? I would love to see that. Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to do that. I, I, I would ask him in a minute if he... I knew there was a chance that he would think. He's retiring, retired, and is enjoying, enjoying retirement well, to the utmost. He certainly earned it, I have to say. He's done an amazing, amazing body of work. I agree. Now, as far as, do you have any other projects that we can know about, or is this going to keep you... I have something called Schmuggy and Bimbo that I created myself and worked and uh, joined in with uh, Howard Chaikin. And I got the first issue done. Unfortunately, it's very labor-intensive because it's all black and white, all pencil art, and it's going to be gray wash. I got to get the the second and third issues done. When those issues come out, uh, when those issues are done, we're going to see Image, probably Image launch it. I'm doing Kick-Ass also. I got, hopefully I'll get done with Kick-Ass uh, with Silence and then Kick-Ass and then Batman, uh, Superman Year One. Uh, so it's, it's back to back to back to back, and that's the way to work. I, I don't see if there are any gaps in between, you, you get stale. Well, that's good for us. Keep, yeah, I'm, it's, it's good for me. I get to work with this guy, Frank, behind me. Uh, yeah, it's terrific stuff. Man, keep it up. You're doing such wonderful stuff. It's a pleasure to see all the things you're doing, so Thank please keep much. it up. My pleasure talking to you. Thanks. And that's a wrap for episode 300. Next week, we'll be back with episode 301 as we get started on the next 300 and beyond. But until then, keep reading your comics. Joker. Over? Why, my dear delusional dark knight, it hasn't even begun. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. 
No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.